Welcome to Let's Get to Work, a podcast with stories of hope and inspiration for people experiencing blindness and vision loss, as well as those wanting to support us. Brought to you by the Employment Committee of the American Council of the Blind, a place where we talk about all things employment, from finding jobs, holding jobs, building careers, and challenging stigmas. Each podcast will consist of interviews with two visually impaired people who have chosen to travel down unique career paths. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's get to work. Welcome to our episode of the Let's Get to Work podcast. This is Brooke, the committee chair, and I'm here with Jonathan Brassard, who is an interior decorator who also has visual and hearing impairment. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Now, go ahead and let Tell me a little bit about yourself. Where do you live and what is your level of hearing and vision loss? Okay. Um, Currently, as I'm retired, my vision has gotten to the point where it's cloudy, where I can see what's in front of me, but my peripheral vision is very limited and night blindness is just no way to be mobile at night. I have retinitis pigmentosis, which is genetic. My hearing, I lost it when I was a year old from a high fever complicated with German measles called nerve damage. So therefore, I've been wearing hearing aids ever since I was in the fourth grade. And I, when I started working with the Department of Labor, my vision was more acute to where I was able to perform the position that I held at that time. I am located in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex area. Thank you for that information. So it sounds like you've had some changes in your ability levels, but both have been present throughout your life. That is correct. So tell me, Jonathan, about what made you interested in the interior decorating field and tell us about your journey in that field. Okay. My position was an interior designer. I got my degree in design. One of the reasons why I went into that field was because when I was at a younger age, I wanted to pursue architecture. However, my parents did not support that because they felt like my vision would get worse due to the way another family member's vision had decreased over the years. And so therefore they said no in my becoming an architect. Years later, I decided it was my time and I really enjoyed the field rather than go through the entire curriculum for an architecture. I went ahead and got a design degree at the age of 30. And so therefore, I took it from there. I have an emphasis in architecture and an emphasis in uh, special historical restoration and preservation. Okay, that's, that's a great start. So tell me about your progression after you had those emphases and you chose this career path, how did you start getting involved in 
making that into an occupation. With the program, one of the things that was very important is you had to create a portfolio. As you went through the program, you created the visual portfolio. Because remember, the people that you're approaching, they are not, they're not aware of the field. You're usually the person that's providing the service. And so you're the one with the area of expertise and you have to sell them on the concept that you're trying to bring forth in a project. So I started off with my portfolio. I went through the ASID, which is the American Society of Interior Designers. They had a listing for a government position. I thought, why not give it a try? And I was able to get an interview. And it was one of those interviews that was supposed to take 20 minutes and it ended up taking two hours. (laughs) And it was a very good interview. Very good. The person doing the interview did not realize that you had to review the person's portfolio. So it was uh, a funny situation at the end of the interview. She's looking at me and I have the deer in the headlight look and she's like, I did something wrong, didn't I? I said, yes, you're getting ready to hire me for a job and you don't know what I can do for you. And she was like, oh, oh, okay. Let me see the portfolio. So once she saw the portfolio and I was able to develop the talent that I was able to bring to the table, then she had a better idea what she was looking for. Because my position originally started out as a pilot program with the government. And they didn't know if they were or were not going to keep the concept of having an interior designer on board. So I have to implement this in my statement. Years after that interview, I asked my boss, I said, what was it during my interview that sold you on hiring me against the other candidate that did not have a disability? And she kind of smiled and she said, you were the only person that sent me a handwritten thank you card for giving you time for an interview. And she said, I thought that if someone's going to take the time to thank me for just an interview, I could take their character to the bank and work with them into our boat. And I always thought that was kind of unusual. It was something very simple that actually pushed me over the edge in becoming eligible. Over the years, once I was in the position, I did the designing, remodeling, relocation of the United States Department of Labor's offices from coast to coast. I enjoyed it. Absolutely enjoyed it. It was an opportunity that I was truly blessed to have. I met a lot of people. I learned everything about how the government is run, how politics work, how budgeting, accounting, faith, management. It was an incredible career. I wouldn't have traded it for anything. What an incredible story. You know, I'm just going to be... I'm going to be naive for a second, and I'm sure you've had to answer this question a hundred times, but from one blind person to another, how in the world do you do interior designing without vision? Because even that idea just, 
overwhelms me and I'm naive in thinking that it wouldn't work. Well, no, uh, I wouldn't consider it naive because in my thought, a lot of people have said you're disabled and I instantly look at them and go, no, correction, I am differently able. In other words, an individual who has full sight may do something one way. I may do it totally different. It doesn't necessarily make it wrong. It just makes it, in my way, more efficient because I have the same end result. Back to answer your question, at the time, my vision was a lot better to where I was tunnel vision. However, I did most of my work through AutoCAD, and that's drawing all the architectural drawings and everything on the computer. My vision was a lot better at the time, but I still had the tunnel vision. And there were times when I had to walk away from the computer because my eyes would get very, very tired. However, the cones and rods in my eyes were still strong enough to where I could see color. So not only was I developing the space, but I was also doing coordination of furniture, fabric, finishes, carpet, paint, everything, and then presenting it to the agencies that were needing that office to be assimilated and put together. So I have to say, at that time, my vision was more acute. And as the years went by, I had already proven my ability. So whenever there was a decrease in my vision, I knew to reach out to either the Texas Rehabilitation Services or to Coast, which was a agency within the Department of Labor that would issue accommodations like magnification devices, hearing devices, anything of that nature. And eventually it was moved over to the Civil Rights Office. So the agency worked with me to purchase any form of equipment that I might need to perform my job. And um, it lasted for 25 years. Sounds like you really worked within your means and advocated for yourself, collaborated, knew when to reach out for support and continued to adjust to what was coming. Yes, I was at the beginning. I did not discuss my disability as much. They could see that I had a disability because I wear hearing aids, but they couldn't understand the level or the extent of my visual limitation. And I made it a point not to bring that up other than the fact that, yes, I do have certain visual limitations, which allowed them to know that I do have the disability. And I explained to the people that I worked with that if I need your assistance, I will be honest enough to ask for it. And one of the biggest things that I had to learn to do was to swallow my pride. The sooner you get rid of the pride factor out of the equation, the sooner you're going to be able to be more functional because there is no shame in asking for help. And that is what got me through many, many years because I would go to my coworker and say, okay, 
this is what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? Compare notes. And then I'd come out and I was informed and able to pursue the completion of whatever projects I was working on over the years. I think that's really good advice and good feedback. What elements of your visual impairment served as strengths for you in your job? Well, this may be funny to some individual, but to me, being tunnel visioned was actually a blessing because when you're tunnel visioned, you're focused with what is directly in front of you. And when you're trying to accomplish a task and you don't have all the side distractions that most normal people have, it allows you to stay focused. And then with the hearing impairment, if I don't know you're talking to me, I am very focused on what I'm doing. And so I may have a lot of noise around me, but I'm in tune. So for me, being tunnel vision actually helped me out tremendously. It was almost like sometimes you need to bring people into a situation to focus. And a lot of people that have vision, they see everything. Well, there are times when you need to ignore everything and you need to focus on one item because that is what we're developing, not everything else that's going on. And so I really actually thought that was something cool for me. And a lot of people were going, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, oh, I'm not. And it it was just my way of dealing with it. I I looked at it more as a blessing and, and kind of funny because it took the disability off of me and it put it on the supposedly normal sighted person because they couldn't focus as well as I could. Right. Yeah. So you changed the way it was discussed and the way people related to you by just doing those subtle language shifts. Yeah, very much so. One thing I will say, no matter whether you have an ability or a different ability, the people factor is the most important thing to focus on. When people see that you are genuinely trying, they will support you. They will be there with you. And all I had to show that I was interested in the individuals. I talked to them. I got to know them. I got to know about their family. And once I took it away from the fact that I was just an employee and I started speaking with them as a friend, a co-worker, I was able to develop the relationship that I needed to have some sense of tolerance, leniency, patience, when I had moments where I had a hurdle I had to overcome because I had already established the people factor in the equation. And by doing that, people did not mind when I had to slow down. People didn't mind when I had to look at things differently. People didn't mind helping me when I asked for it. And I thought the people factor is something everybody should understand. The art of communication is something that has definitely become very deficient over the years with more technology. Thank you for sharing that. It's such a relational 
component for advocating and leading by example and connecting with people and less about the disability itself. Now, Jonathan, what are you doing now? How did your transition from the interior design go and what is your life looking like? At this point, my sight, I can see in front, but I'm becoming more and more limited. In other words, if someone's sitting in front of me, I can see certain things, but I can't see their face, so to speak. However, I, at this time being retired, have a number of hobbies. And one of my hobbies, believe it or not, is actually quilting. And I have really been able to excel in the quilting field because people are very traditionalist in that particular artistic field. And I don't think the way they think. I just do what feels right and I develop it. When I start a quilt, I never know how it's going to end up until something deep inside says, finish. Everything is right. And then when I'm not doing that, I'm always repairing something. Like if if someone breaks something or a piece of furniture or something, because I can hone in on the detail and I can hold it close to me where I can see the detail. I can add more lighting if I need to. I can add more magnification if I need to. So with that having been said, I keep myself pretty busy. And I do any type of uh, community service work that I can find that they're willing to say, hey, here's a serving line. We need an extra server. Well, I can definitely see the tray and I can see the spoon and I can definitely dish it out to whoever needs it during the holiday. Thank you for sharing that. If you had your vision the way it is now or you were totally blind, how do you think that would have changed your approach or do you think it would have changed your approach? Using the word approach, I don't think it would have changed anything. Using the word, the parameters of my capability, if I were to take the vision I have now and go back 25 years in time, I could not do this job. In other words, I would have to find something else in my field that I could do. However, what a lot of people don't realize is just because you get a degree in a certain field doesn't mean that you can only do one thing with that degree. For instance, an interior designer also has the capability and the qualification to do furniture design, fabric design, other types of design that would have allowed me to be closer to the medium that I'm trying to work with. I would have had to take different paths, but as far as the way I would have executed it, no, I I was raised to get to know people, do the best that you can. I was raised that nobody owes you anything. If you're not going to get out there and fight for what you want, then you're not going to get it. And so I'm a firm believer, try it. If you fail, that's not a failure. It's just a way of telling you that one less way that you can get something accomplished. Try it again and keep trying it until you can do it and make it work. So maybe I wouldn't have had the exact job, so to speak, but I would have found something that I had a passion for. 
I appreciate that. And I appreciate what you said about your degree could have led to other options that were more tactile, such as quilting and fabric and things that site is less imperative for. So I think that's going to be helpful for listeners with a variety of visual acuity. So I'm going to ask you one more question and then I'm going to open it to my colleague, Rosanna, for a follow-up question. Any final advice that you would give a job seeker who's discouraged about finding work within their abilities? My greatest advice would be to never take it personally. You have to understand you're dealing with a population that does not understand what you can and cannot do. With that having been said, we're dealing with a lot of stereotypical issues that a lot of people have not been taught to understand that when it comes to a disability, there are varying degrees. Just because you say you have a visual impairment, not every visual impairment is the same. Even if you say, I am blind, there are different variances of blind. Same thing with hearing. But a lot of people that you interact with, they want to typecast you. They want to put you in a peg. They want to say, okay, I understand you immediately. Unfortunately, you have to stand back and go, it is not me that's doing anything wrong. I have a wealth of knowledge that this person could be benefiting from. And rather than allowing it to get you down, you have to do the foresight of understanding if this is the type of person that has this type of attitude, really want to be working with them? Because you'll find that if you just keep hanging in there, keep believing in yourself, you'll find somebody who will give you a chance. And the people who have given me a chance, believe it or not, were not the people that had the disability. They actually had family members who had the disability. And so they had a better understanding of where I was coming from. And when I explained my need, they had no problem with it because they understood, because they had, you know, life experience. And so my advice is if somebody is going to cut you short because all they hear is a disability, walk run, get away from them, just going to lead you to a toxic work environment. There are people out there that have family members or they themselves have walked a mile in our shoes. It's just that we have a lot of invisible disabilities, which a lot of people don't understand. So never give up on yourself. Thank you for that advice and for sharing your story with us. It's been great to hear your perspective. And especially I love speaking to people who are retired and reflecting back and inspiring other people who are heading down roads of employment. Rosanna, go ahead and ask whatever follow-up question you would like. Jonathan, thank you so much for sharing uh, your story. I, I really found it very enlightening. My question is, First of all, I, I just want to say, I think it's awesome that you followed your dream. And I think it's something that people should do is you have a dream, follow it and follow what you want to do. And you did just that. Um, but I guess 
I'm thinking in my mind, um, an architect, someone who's an architect and someone who does designing has to do a lot of drawing or has to do a lot of visualization, whether it's mental visualization in your mind or whether it's, you know, physical uh, building, you know, on the outside. When you were designing something or when you were putting together something, did you have a vision, a mind, something in your mind that drew you to the completion of your project? Always. Always. Does that, that make sense? Very much so. I always had the vision. And this is something that a lot of people don't understand is I be able to look at a space and do what is called creative visualization. And mm-hmm. With creative visualization, I could see the end result before we even started building it. Now, if I can make an interjection on something that you said, yes, it is correct that there was a lot of physical and visual requirements to the position that I held. However, people with disabilities can still serve in the design arena. Because you have to understand, we have the ADA. Mm-hmm. And who knows better about the ADA and accommodation than a person who is in the disability field? And when you bring a technical expert into the arena, this is incredible because you have a person that not only knows the rules and regulations and laws, but they've also lived it. And so it's easy for them to articulate to a person who does not realize that a counter is supposed to be so many inches high. If you're going to have a person who's in a wheelchair, you need a ramp and it has to be so long. Mm-hmm. And so just because a person has a disability does not mean they can't be a technical expertise. They don't have to do the drawing because I personally would call up the ADA in Washington, D.C. constantly and say, okay, I have a person who is limited in this capacity. This is my design. Can I send it to you? Can you give me some uh, advice? And I was constantly calling and working with them. So, yes, I personally may have had to do a lot of drawing and physical work, but that doesn't mean that a person with vision limitations or even being blind cannot be a technical advisor. Oh, I totally, absolutely, 100% agree with you. And I think what you said earlier makes that point clear when, you know, when you said, I did the same thing as someone else, I just did it differently. And I I think that that really hones that point. But if if you had to make a drawing, were you able to explain to someone cited, like, this is my vision. This is what I want to draw. Could you, if I tell you what I want, could you draw this for me? Were you able to do that? Did you use that as a tool? I'm going to answer it this way. If I knew that you had the ability to do or execute the AutoCAD program, mm-hmm. yes. Yes, I could tell you exactly walking through the front door, and step by step by step by step. Because one of the things I always, always established before I even started was a design consultation with the agent. 
what are you new? How did you perform the job within your space? How do we keep the dynamics where it flows? Because how do we keep the staff working with their key players in the arena? And so once you finish with the design consultation, I had an idea of, okay, they need a library, they need a conference room, they need a open area for furniture, they need a lobby. The lobby is either going to be open to where they have walk-in clients, or it needs to be closed to where they don't have walk-in clients. I knew how the courtroom was supposed to be laid out. I knew how the laboratory was supposed to be laid out. If I was to go back in the field and I had a team of people who knew how to use AutoCAD and had background in design, yeah, I could very easily walk them through any situation where it could continue to be built out according to agency specifications. Thank you so much for those answers. And unfortunately, we are out of time. Yeah. So I appreciate you guys taking the time and you, Jonathan, answering those questions. I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. Thank you for listening. My pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Let's Get to Work, a podcast from the Employment Committee at the American Council of the Blind. Have questions, episode ideas, or feedback? Feel free to email Brooke Jostet, the committee chair, at B-R-O-O-K-E underscore J-O-S-T-A-D at Comcast.net. Until next time, work it.